Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I am joined by BJ Colangelo, one half of the wonderful This Ends at Prom podcast, horror contributor recently to the book Creepy Bitches, essays on horror from women in horror, and producer on the upcoming mental health and horror documentary and self-described human first aid kit. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, and I am a big fan of This Ends at Prom. Thank you. I love that it's something that I get to do. I've sort of made my name working in horror. So when I announced to the world, hey, I'm doing a podcast about teen girl movies, it definitely made some people get a little dog-eared. But that's very much the intersection of who I am as a person, which I think makes today's book all the more appropriate. So I'm glad to hear that you're also a fan. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is the perfect intersection. I mean, you've done you guys have done a handful of like, you know, horror teen uh, Mm -hmm. girl movies, but I'm also a big fan of teen girl movies. So the way that I look at it is we spend so much time talking about these movies that we love or that really mean something to us. And we have a tendency to forget about the films that really did have an impact on us if they were seen as like a lesser than movie, which tend to be the things that we consume in our teen years because films that are meant for children have that staying power because they're also trying to focus on adult audiences, whereas teen movies are meant to focus on teens and exclusively teens. And sometimes that means the content isn't the best, but that doesn't make it any less impactful. I think everybody has their their comfort teen movies that they go to all the time. (laughs) Agreed completely. I have many, many of them. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but why did you pick this book? I picked this one specifically because I think, first of all, young adult literature gets a bad rap. And more importantly, young adult horror literature gets an extremely bad rap. Um, One of my favorite moments in the new Fear Street trilogy is when one of the characters is going to buy a book, like it's a mom or something, and the girl at the counter is like, oh my god, I love this book. And her response is, it's trash. Because I feel like that's how everybody views teen horror books. And this is one that I found to be really wonderful and I thought was extremely well done, sort of takes apart a lot of the tropes that we're used to with teen horror books but at the same time feels very right at home with the the world of like Christopher Pike and you know Arlstein's Fear Street in in its blatant teenness but written for a a new generation one that's a little bit more socially conscious and one that's a little bit more unafraid to talk about how difficult teen life can actually be without being melodramatic about it. I think that is the strength is that it does feel very much like a teen book. I mean, I mean, we were talking earlier about just Mila as a narrator Mm -hmm. just has this perfect voice for this story. Oh, yeah. Listening to Mila or I guess, you know, reading it, but in my head, the voice that I've given her in my head. It really reminds me of the way that I used to write like my live journal entries where the things that you're talking about are so important because they are at this point in your life. What's happening is the most important thing that's ever happened to you. And obviously she's going through some really serious trauma. And one of her ways of coping is making fun of it and laughing and looking at the absurdity of it, because a lot of times the trauma that we do go through 
is kind of absurd when you think about it on paper. Like she says throughout the whole movie, like, or the whole book, uh, my friend is dead. Like my best friend is dead. Like this is fucked. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, you're right. It is fucked. It's really weird that you're at a funeral for your friend and you're very young. That shouldn't be how the world is. Absolutely not. And in this, you know, literary universe, the third funeral in the school year. Right. That's something I love. It Like, I mean, I don't love the fact that there are three <laughs> funerals at this high school. But whenever I watch movies, because so many horror movies deal with teenagers, I think a lot about those funerals. Like when you have your final destinations where it, like there's 10 people all having a funeral at the same time. That's awful. <laughs> like nobody wants to go there. That is such a hard thing. And at the same time, that is a very unfortunate reality, because, especially, you know, I live in America, so that happens a lot with, you know, mass shootings and school shootings. People do end up going to a shitload of funerals um, in a small period of time, and that's, that's tough. And I like that this book is unafraid to be like, this is really messed up and we should stop acting like this is normal. Yes, agreed. I think another one that came to mind was a movie I watched because of this ends up prom but spontaneous oh gosh I love spontaneous and spontaneous is an allegory for school shootings but done with spontaneous combustion so you have that you know that safe distance to handle it but you're totally right like and that's an I think I think spontaneous actually plays really well with the world of undead girl gang I think they have very similar energies in that it's addressing trauma addressing grief but doing so with like tongue firmly planted in cheek and middle finger in the air. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I realize we have not really talked about what the book is <laughs> that we are talking about. Yeah. There's just so much. We should probably get there. <laughs> I mean, you saw the title when you downloaded this episode. But yes, this is about Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. I will just read the quick synopsis. So Mila Flores and her best friend Riley have always been inseparable. There's not much excitement in their small town of Cross Creek. So Mila and Riley make their own fun, devoting most of their time to Riley's favorite activity, amateur witchcraft. So when Riley and two Fairmont Academy mean girls die under suspicious circumstances, Mila refuses to believe everyone else's explanation that her BFF was involved in a suicide pact. Instead, armed with a tube of lip gloss and an ancient grimoire, Mila does the unthinkable to uncover the truth. She brings the girls back to life. Unfortunately, Riley, June, and Dayton have no recollection of their murders, but they do have unfinished business to attend to. Now, with only seven days until the spell wears off and the girls return to their graves, Mila must wrangle the distracted group of undead teens and work fast to discover their murderer before the killer strikes again. Which is just everything that I've ever wanted in a story. (laughs) Everything I I never knew I needed. Uh, The first, I, I have a few pages I tabbed on my (laughs) edition but like the first instance of well actually no when it opens up at the funeral we get just her voice right away I mean the book opens up with the problem with your best friend dying is that there's no one to sit with you at funerals which I think really encapsulates just the tone of this novel (laughs) I think so too that line like I, I hate to be that person that's like I can kind of predict whether I'm in or out on a book on the first page but that's definitely the person I am. And I accept that about myself. And when that's the way that this opened, I was like, oh, I get you. I get this kind of humor. 
because that's a that's very much my same sense of humor. This is going to be like sort of morbid, maybe not, but I'm a pancreatic cancer survivor and my dad was diagnosed with kidney cancer six months after I was diagnosed with cancer. And my entire family like did not know how to process this. My mom was crying all the time. My sister was a wreck and my dad comes home to like tell me what's going on and I like just looked at him and I was like, I have a 4% chance to live and some people give up their kidneys voluntarily, get on my level scrub. And like, that is my way of dealing with really hard information. So to feel like that same semblance of humor, I was like, Mila is a girl after my own heart. This is the type of character that I see myself in. And I'm very glad that this is the type of girl that gets to be the protagonist because I think that that character is usually reserved for like fun sidekick. They're never the protagonist. Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. Yeah, she would usually be sassy friend, like sassy best friend with the comebacks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just in the background. And the fact that we do learn that Mila's also bigger, like she's, mm-hmm. that definitely puts her in like sassy fat friend territory, which as a sassy fat friend, I've been there many a time. I know that feeling. <laughs> so probably additional reasons why I love Mila so much. Well, and she's Mexican, so definitely yeah, had more reason to be put in. Right. So we have like a, we have a fat woman of color that is very no nonsense and very funny. Like that is tailor made. Like we're up putting a character actor in this and they're going to be friend number three. And a Ned girl gang's like, no, she gets to be the, the star of the story. And it's like, that's great. I love this. We need more of this, please. Oh, yes, we do. Please let us have more of this. But I think when I, really fell in love with her is when Dr. Miller wants to speak with her and like brings her into her office and she says like I understand that you were very close to Riley this must be hard for you and she Mm -hmm. does her inner monologue is I wonder what it'd be like if I said no like nah dog my BFF (laughs) is dead but otherwise it's been a super chill week (laughs) that seems needlessly combative so I say yes it's hard (laughs) yeah that is (sighs) I don't know. That has the same energy to me as when people are like, would you still be my friend if I kicked you in the face right now? Like, th- like those weird what if conversations you have with your friends. And I love that that's the way that her mind works because that's the way my mind works. So again, like, maybe I'm biased. This book could actually be garbage for all I know. I just am refusing to see it because I love her so much. But no, it's, this book's actually very wonderful. <laughs> I'm like, no, I will vouch for this book. This is (laughs) so fun. And uh, I was like skimming through it just today before we recorded this. And it just is one of those books that has that thing where you just, you're not even reading. You're just like absorbing the story, which is what I think all books should be, (laughs) but not all books do. But this book just has that magic. Agreed. At no point do I ever, there's, there's two modes of reading that really take me out of it. And it's either when it feels like required reading, when I feel like I'm reading something that I'm supposed to, or that I was assigned to read that like can take me out of it. Or two, when I feel like a book is trying way too hard to be smart. Um, Those are the two moments where I like really drift out because I think I become aware like, oh, I'm reading a book. I'm doing an intellectual activity, whereas this is a book that I could really like fall into and feel like I was part of this world and I was hearing stories, like I was hearing their stories. And Lily Anderson's voice is so strong in this book and it's something that I don't think we get very often. And 
especially in young adult, which sometimes can feel very samey. Um, and this doesn't. This really feels like it's standing on its own two feet. I did want to ask, how do you feel about June and Dayton? Okay, I have very mixed feelings about June and Dayton. <laughs> um, first off, I love that. I, I do too. So go for it. <laughs> I love that they're the nouns. I think that's hilarious. Um, I love gimmicky names for uh, for for Mean Girls. It's big big favorite of mine. Um, the feelings that I have about June and Dayton is that because I am somebody who has a lot of training in like trauma-informed lenses I want to hate them and I can't I do feel very empathetic for them and I think a lot of people go through phases when they're young where they don't know how to navigate their emotions they don't know how to navigate the world that they're in they do fall into those absolute worst impulses where you're just a you're a bitch like you're a bully and you're mean and to think about somebody not having the chance for redemption and to think about not having that chance for growth or reflection or to repair the harm that you've caused is really sad to me. And I love that we have these characters that, as we've known them to be, are awful. And then when we get to see them again, it's like, hey, we should probably get our shit together. Um, and also, life was hard for us and we just handled it very poorly. Um, I think that's really beautiful and I don't expect anyone who reads this book to be like, you know what, maybe the person who made my life hell in high school was going through some shit too and I'm okay with it. Like, I don't expect that out of anybody. But I like that this book is not afraid to have that really difficult conversation that even the people in high school that were super awful to you and made you feel terrible every single day, they had their own issues too. And I think that's a conversation a lot of people are not ready for. And good on Lily Anderson for being like, now nah, we're having it. Yes, because they get a, a very empathetic portrayal. And I mean, she doesn't sugarcoat how awful she was. Oh, yeah. How much they bullied Mila and Riley. I mean, we get mm -hmm. like specific instances how, you know, they spread rumors about, you know, Riley's family are like the, the town morticians and mm -hmm. they would spread rumors about them. You know, they got her parents out of the PTA, like, you know, really made her a pariah. Mm -hmm. within this town and then the same with Mila you know bullied you know she confronts them about bullying her for being a bigger girl you know we have those conversations where they are confronted with the consequences of their words while they were alive mm -hmm. and I think that there are a lot of people who forgive the expression but like would kill for that opportunity <laughs> uh, to be able to do that and I'm very fortunate that, you know, somebody who was really terrible to me when I was in high school, like a, a, someone who committed quite the atrocity uh, against my personhood, I did get to confront them. And it was, you know, almost 15 years later. And it really genuinely did change my perspective on a lot of things. Like it doesn't undo the hurt that was caused, but I can deal with it better now. And I think ultimately, like, that's what we get to see with, with Riley and Mila is like that harm that was caused, like that didn't go away. That didn't get undone. That's not how that works. But at minimum, like they, they can get through it a little easier and they can understand it. And I love, I just, I really love that that's, that's a place that they're going because you're right. Like they, they're awful. Like they were just so mean. And it's one of those things where you look at people like that and it's so easy to be like, they're just net villain. Like there's no redemption. There's nothing positive about them. 
And this book is like, yeah, people can do really terrible things that doesn't make them wholly terrible. And that's, I think that's a really powerful message that I wish more people uh, could subscribe to, but I completely understand why we can't because it's hard. It is hard. I mean, there were a few spots in this book where I like cried like literal tears. (laughs) (laughs) And one of them is when, you know, June keeps going back to her family's house and just swimming laps Mm -hmm. in the pool because she misses it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that moment kind of like, it's, it's like these really weird sentimental things that we do that just make us feel human as, as weird as that sounds. Um, you know, that's just something that you miss and that's something that, that you want. It made me think a lot of a movie that I love called Lake Mungo where after the mother has lost her daughter and she's drowned, one of the things she keeps doing is in the middle of the night when she's walking around, she's breaking into people's houses, like not like breaking windows or anything, but like opening doors and going inside. And she's just sitting in people's living room because she wants to live in someone's, someone else's life for a little while. And in, in a weird way, I think that's what's happening with, with June where it's like, I need that return to normalcy just a little bit. I need something mm-hmm. to feel to feel right because nothing else does because I'm fucking dead. Um, So it's like, it's like those little moments that make you feel human again when you know that you're not. And I think that that's, that's really powerful. And it did like, yeah, it it got to me too. I didn't like, I didn't cry real tears, but I definitely had like a little bit of that lump in my throat. (laughs) I am such a book crier. I also love like Mungo. Uh, oh, such a beautiful film. It is. What a great, what a great exercise in grief. <laughs> We're just talking about all the, <laughs> all the content about grief today. <laughs> Which is what this book does so well. I would say it's its biggest strength is the raw grief that you feel mm-hmm. reading it. Oh, for sure. Oh, like I mean, in that scene when you know Mila's like, you can't be doing this. Like, what if someone sees you? And she does. You know, she gives this whole speech on like, you know, they always say ghosts have unfinished business. My whole life was unfinished. Yeah. Like that, see, okay, that is the line that that got me for sure. Um, Cause I, I lost a friend um, in my early twenties and like she has a, she had a two year old when she passed and it's one of those things where it's like, oh my God, like, and she passed the same time that like one of my friends had lost their like 95 year old grandma and they were like, oh yeah, we're both mourning. And I was like, it's not the same. Yeah. Like you cannot compare like, are they both sad? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I don't want to play, like, tragedy sparring oppression Olympics or anything. But, like, the mm-hmm. loss of somebody that young who did not get, like, the life ahead of them, like, that is infinitely more sad than somebody who lived a full life and had great-grandchildren. Like, that's, it's just, you're comparing apples to oranges here in terms of sadness. And, yeah, that line, like, oh, God. And, you know, it also comes from, I'm somebody who, you know, should have died from cancer and and didn't. Um, And that's how I thought all the time. I spent years of my life just being like, what am I, what's going to happen? Like, what am I going to do? How do I fix this before I go? But the difference with with like June and and Dayton is they didn't even get that chance for that self-reflection when they were alive because it came out of nowhere. They couldn't even prepare for it. It was. I mean, yeah, this book brought out a lot of big feelings. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's what makes Mila as a narrator so so important 
because this book is handling really intense emotions, really big situations, and especially like this this layer of darkness that exists in our lives that I think we're so afraid to acknowledge, especially with like teen content because it's viewed as like that's too grim or like that's too dark. And having that balance with Mila, having that kind of uncomfortable humor really makes it palatable. If Mila had been a protagonist that was just like a weeping willow of a human, this book would be insufferable. It would be so hard to get through. Well, I mean, in that strength that, you know, go-getterness is what, you know, allows this book to even happen because she mm-hmm. does not accept that Riley died by suicide. She is like, I not only do I not believe this, I am going to do something about this. Which you cannot underestimate the tenacity of a teenage girl who's been done wrong. <laughs> like that's <laughs> people underestimate teen girls all the time. But I, I recently did an episode of the Pike cast, which is like a Christopher Pike podcast. And we talked about the book, The Lost Mind, where it's a similar situation where the friend has has died and the other friend is like, yeah, no, this this is not how this went down like something happened and no one's listening and now I have to figure it out and I think that like that would be me if my friend had passed away and everyone's like she committed suicide like you don't know her the way I do like that's bullshit and I don't trust cops so I'm doing it myself yeah the fact that she doesn't step down even when like Dr. Miller is questioning her and like writing down like okay so you're being (laughs) you're not accepting this which, I mean, we find out more about Dr. Miller later, but when we're introduced yeah. to her, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is, you know, supposed to be like this combative, like, oh, another authority figure that is not taking me seriously. Mm-hmm. I think it has like a very similar energy to like Jawbreaker, where they, you know, set up the, the perfect crime for what actually happened to Liz. And it's like, they'll believe it because it's their worst nightmare. And it's like, and that's why they everyone's just like totally going in on like suicide pact, which is so like lifetime movie, not real. Like, yeah. of course they have existed. There have been people who have made suicide pacts. It is nowhere near the epidemic that a lot of these like Dateline 2020 people want to make us believe So I love that Mila's like, "Mm, no, like that's not what's happening here. But of course the parents are going to be like, it must be that. What other explanation is there? She's like, you need to calm down on this moral panic nonsense. Right, right, right. Yeah, this book just does everything right because it, (laughs) it does it differently than everything else, but it acknowledges why it's doing it differently. And that's so cool to me. It does. And one thing that I like that I think really helps the pacing of this book is the rules. We have rules right up front. You know, Mm -hmm. she accidentally brings three girls back. They have seven days. Uh, When they're in Walmart, we learn that there's like also a proximity rule. They all have to be like within 100 steps of Mila, you know, is a big factor for like the rest of the book. And then as I was going through today, I forgot like everything, like the last third of this book is just like thing after thing after thing. Like it is nonstop action. (laughs) yeah once we get you know the reveal this book like snowballs in acceleration really really quickly it does yeah so our big red herring for i would say like the middle chunk of the book is that she thinks it's caleb Mm -hmm. who is this guy who she describes as having like incel like mansplainer like reddit bro energy (laughs) 
Yes. Which, to be fair, that would also be somebody that I would be suspicious of immediately. Because <laughs> that's just, I'm suspicious of them in general. And does that make me a bad person for making these assumptions? Possibly. But I've also been doxxed, so... I'm dealing with my own trauma. This is why I have a therapist. And I'm with you. I was rereading this book. I knew who the person was and I was rereading it again. And I'm like, I don't know. He still seems like (laughs) the kind of person who would do it. Even though the part of my brain is like, but it's not. I'm like, but it could be this time. Maybe. (laughs) Surprise. Choose your own adventure book. It just changes this time when I read it. The big reveal we got was that he and June were dating secretly, but she wanted to help boost his social cred before they could go public. So, mm-hmm. like, she was also sabotaging her own happiness with just, like, these dumb rules about popularity and, like, public mm-hmm. opinion as well. Yeah. And why do we do that? Like, because that is such a thing is these arbitrary like social standards and rules that we set for ourselves and I understand it's it's a survival of high school hierarchy but as an adult I look back and I'm just like I missed out on so much fun setting myself up for you know I have to do things a certain way and be a certain way and be this person and well I mean luckily I didn't end up dead like June so maybe I did something right anyway at that age social capital is everything yeah, and, you know, I mean, none of us have real money, so yeah. <laughs> we have to have something to use as currency. It's like, yeah, the big thing floating around is this like Roush scholarship. And like a big reason Caleb is a target was because he was making jokes and talking about like, oh, like that's less people going for the scholarship now. It's like this, mm-hmm. like you learn later is like dark humor, but you know, it's one of those like yeah. really insensitive things to say after people have died. Oh my God, yeah. One of my friends uh, a couple years ago, it was not a great situation. She she was murdered. I mean, that's never a great situation. Um, oh, wow. And she was she's a journalist. And somebody on the day of her death, like as a joke, was like, well, I guess I'm going to suddenly get more like, you know, pitches or whatever accepted. And all of us were like, can you let the fucking body go in the ground like what is wrong with you he was like i was just trying to make light of a situation like you know she's a writer and i'm a writer and we're like no like that's not cool dude like that's not a fun joke to make i don't know why you thought that was okay i understand you're coping and you don't know how to deal with this but like whoa and it was one of those things where you know he had that reckoning and that realization of like okay yeah like that is my way of coping with these things but my way of coping is super insensitive to other people like you can have those thoughts those are inside thoughts you keep those inside you don't say those out loud yeah and i mean i at his point i think it was trying to be like a misdirect but it's like at that point like why (laughs) right 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 (laughs) and also i give people a little bit of leeway when they're young because i'm like you're you're not fully developed quite yet a lot of your decision making is questionable at best this episode is brought to you by libro fm Libro.fm is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports community. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, 
Check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best. Booksellers. I mean, and us. We also have a playlist on there full of books that have been recommended on this podcast. Books in the Freezer special offer. You get two audiobooks for the price of one, just $14.99, with your first month of membership using code FREEZERBOOK. This offer is valid for new members in Canada and the United States. Thank you, Libro FM, for supporting the show. There's also, I would say the, one of the other big side characters other than uh, Riley's brother, Xander, is Anaya, like the school reporter who just like gets yeah. in everyone's faces. <laughs> just like Who I love. I love a high school busybody. I really do. <laughs> like I, I used to describe myself as like goth Tracy Flick in high school. So <laughs> she speaks to me. I get it. Like part of you wants to, to do out of context one of my favorite quotes is from super bad which is like it's soccer greg and it's just like yes. sometimes you just want to look at that character and be like it's calm down it's soccer we're in high school you're a report you're a high school reporter chill out and it's at the same time though like but i get it you're you you've got moxie i respect it it does she's like a one person publication but uh what was the joke it's like the fairmont informant and mila's like you might as well have called it like the fairmont snitch why didn't you just call it the fairmont narc like what a terrible name (laughs) right like it's it's very much like a gossip rag that's you know moonlighting as serious investigative journalism but isn't that every high school newspaper it is but like the thing is she's also like stumbling onto the truth like a little bit like she starts Mm -hmm. uh getting on the story that everything is a hoax because she's seen june and dayton around because june and dayton could not help themselves and they did confront their like show choir friends (laughs) which love (laughs) oh i love in the beginning when mila's like these like show choir people are like trying to hide that they are so excited that they get to perform at this funeral like it's sick yes <laughs> oh my god i was losing my mind because like that is absolutely a thing like and i hate that that's a thing but it's totally a thing i was in show choir so like <laughs> oh god it's so bad it's like oh but i get to do the solo when we go to the retirement home and everybody's really sad because they don't get visitors but like i get to be the shining star for the day like what the fuck is wrong with me i was a monster when i was 15 <laughs> No, like that happened when I was in middle school, like a girl died and she was in choir and there was like a big thing of like, well, all the choirs are going to perform at her funeral. You know, it was conversations that were had. It's just, you know, how teens are. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) So where was I going with that? (laughs) I think it's like there's, there's really like we have a couple of side characters, but ultimately this story is, is Mila and the girl gang, which I love because there is, you know, the romance plot in, in this book. But I feel like that's just, you have that, that, that you have to. That's like YA rules. If there's not a romance, then what are you even doing here? But I love that there's also the relationship of, of friendship and prioritizing the friendships that you have in your life, which is very Jennifer's body to me. And I love that. Yes. Um, because the friendships that you have are just as important as the romances, if not more so. The hardest breakups I've ever been through have been with my friends and not people I was dating. Um, and, and I like that this book is, is about that friendship is about that sisterhood without it being like, this is the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Um, <laughs> which is just really refreshing to me. It's, it's a sisterhood book that isn't like squeaky clean, feel good book. And we need more of that. And I think especially how her relationship and empathy develops with June and Dayton, where like, 
june is even like her wing woman like go talk to him like that's yeah. not how crushes work like go over there like shoot your shot girl <laughs> yeah that's really really refreshing and it is i think a, a sign that as we get older we do start to take feedback and develop these relationships with people that i think we never thought we would like there's the running gag of there is nobody nicer and more supportive than a drunk girl at the club bathroom yeah and it's like yeah I never like outside of the world would have probably ever talked to this person or been this person's friend but right now they are the best person in my life this is awesome (laughs) just big girl supporting girls energy yeah and this book definitely has that while also tackling these like really dark and difficult things because that's life like it's not all one thing and this book has a really nice balance in in juggling all of that because it's it's a book about you know losing your best friend and and a murder mystery and all of these things but at the same time it's also just about like learning to connect with people and having empathy and and what is a true friend and I I just love that like this book is so hard to talk about one without spoiling everything and two without just like just gushing about it because it's so good and so wonderful and this is like a book that I would kill to see as a movie like or a series I want to like follow them forever follow them into the dark (laughs) give me a movie for every day that they're alive we can definitely get into spoilers because I feel like that is you know a pretty big part Mm-hmm. Yeah, the book is like everything that's setting up. You know, there's a there's a seven day time thing. They don't remember what happened, how they died, but we learn that they were all murdered, and well, two of them were murdered. You know, that's a big reveal because then it coincides with dealing with Mila's love life. Mm-hmm. Because dun dun dun, Xander's bad guy, <laughs> bad guy, and we learn this because they do a spell. That which rots you, marks you. Mm-hmm. They've done like they do like a few spells, so she's like a pretty badass witch. And then she like resurrects a whole like troop of people. They also do like a truth potion with Caleb. Like they lure Caleb out mm-hmm. um, and like give him like essentially truth serum. And he's like, yeah, like June and I were talking, and they think they originally think it's him, and because he has like a rash, we learn it's just a rash. <laughs> It's like a very big point. Like, guys, it's just a rash. It's just his eczema. (laughs) Which is like so cute and so silly. (laughs) I also love that they're they're witches that actually are, you know, they're successful because I I can't remember where I've read it, but somebody posted something that like awkward girls go in like two directions, either like teenage witches or horse girls. And um, I was definitely, like, teenage witch girl. Like, there's that episode of Pen15 where they watch the craft and then, like, try to do magic. Been there. (laughs) Um, And for the fact that it's like, no, they actually did it. Like, because they do have that power and that skill. And, you know, Mila and and Riley are well studied in the art of of witchcraft. Um, I think that that's really cool, too. It's not like a, whoa, suddenly we're magic. It's like, no, we, we put our time in. We understand this. And that's great, too. Yes. And then at this point, something else fun happens. So when they lure Caleb, uh, they get descended upon by a coven of older witches on motorcycles. Mm -hmm. Which is (laughs) like kind of my dream. Like if somebody were like today, an older coven of witches on motorcycles were going to come see you and be like, I can die tomorrow. It's perfect. I'm done. 
they like are immediately like no whatever you did you gotta undo it like this is yeah. unnatural like goes against all the laws of nature and mm-hmm. she's basically like the equivalent of like throwing a glass bottle and being like scatter <laughs> just runs for it <laughs> but i also like that angle too because you need to have your mentors and you need to have like the people who've been around the block to kind of walk you through it because teenagers like we live our lives thinking we're invincible and then suddenly someday someone's finally like hey you need to calm the fuck down like you that's a thing you need to do now and i i feel like that's kind of their purpose is <laughs> like hey it's real cool you're into magic um however comma we need to talk about like the limitations and obviously the common the common trope of you know it comes back on you times three sort of thing and you need that warning and you need to listen you need to you need to learn that from somebody who's been around the block so that's i don't know i i love mentors (laughs) and even if they're not necessarily like positive mentor like hey kid let me walk you through it but somebody who's like let me i gotta i gotta teach you some things um it just like th- th- this book does everything right. Like any complaint that I would have, it's like nope, we fixed it. Here it is. <laughs> it is because um, the one lady is like the lady that owns the New Age store in town, and she kind of offers is like, hey, like if you need anything, if you have any questions, I'm here. And this mm-hmm. is you know at a point where she's not trusting authority. She just like steals the like three hundred dollar crystal and pieces out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later, you know, she goes back to apologize and kind of like mend the relationship with her. And is like, I'm sorry, like, here was the situation. Here's everything that was going on. Um, and like, then we learn that the woman that owns the New Age shop is married to Dr. Miller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is something that I love. I love the idea of like somebody who's supposed to be this like professional, like, I, I guess, like scientist sort of way. Um you can say what you can about like therapy but like it's not like it doesn't it's not viewed as new agey whereas like owning the new age shop is new (laughs) agey oh definitely and i love well especially in her first conversation with dr miller where she's you know pretty combative because she asks her like oh so you think you're a witch and she's like actually like according to like religious freedom you can't ask me that right <laughs> so i don't have to, i don't have to talk to you at all about this actually you work for the state <laughs> and so she like brings that back because she's like oh i didn't know you were a witch she's like oh well according to religious freedom like i wasn't allowed to tell you that <laughs> remember <laughs> which is such like a teenage way to answer that question yeah <laughs> Like, I don't think you're allowed to do that, actually. <laughs> Back to, like, who the killer is, the way that we find out that it's Alexander is because she's making out with him and notices mushrooms growing out of his back. <laughs> Which is a nightmare in, in and of itself. But I love that she, like, lists the different types, and I'm like, you're just sitting there like, ah, oh, yes, a portobello, ah, oh, yes, a uh, cremini. <laughs> <laughs> like... I mean, at least they're not all poisonous, so... <laughs> A nice little variety, a nice little back garden there. Yeah, we learned that Riley was suspicious of June and Dayton's deaths Mm -hmm. because, like, one of them only had one shoe, and then she finds the shoe in her brother's room, and when she goes to the spot to kind of investigate, she slips and falls and unfortunately dies. Um, And we learned that, yeah, he killed june and dayton because of how mean they were to riley it was supposed to be like a revenge for his sister because of the living hell that they made her life which is you know it's just rough (laughs) yeah 
It really is. And I think, I think it does open up this really interesting thing about the, the unconditional love that you have for your family or for your friend, friends and wanting to do anything to protect them, even if it means doing the unthinkable. Like, mm-hmm. I've said for my whole life, like, I would take a bullet for my best friend or, like, I absolutely would take a bullet for my wife. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it, it's like, what would I do to somebody who, you know, made their lives hell? Could I be pushed yeah. to, to that extreme? And what does it say about me if in my brain I'm like, yeah, no questions, I, I could do that? Or what does it say? But does it mean that I don't care about them enough if I couldn't? And like, these are really big, hard questions for people to to grapple with. Because when you find when you find that out, it's like you can kind of see why and like you know it's bad you know that like murder is wrong you should not have done that but at the same time you feel that thing of like you he felt helpless he was trying to help it's like a really backwards like kind of terrible way of showing that love and protection um and it just it makes it hard and i like that this book is is not taking the easy way out like every every conflict in this book is morally difficult to to grapple with it is yeah everyone is such a three-dimensional character with motives and then i mean it makes it even harder at the end when mila is the one who kills him but you know mila this is you know the the boy she's had a crush on all through school Mm -hmm. like her friend's older brother who's like now telling her that he's liked her back and this is like what she's always wanted she's learned this awful thing about him and now she has to kill him (laughs) and you know like the the scene where she he's saying like i i love you i've always loved you i would kill for you and then she like takes the knife and is like would you die for me and stabs him yeah like oh what a moment yeah what a great what a moment but like that's i mean that's the problem like i would kill for you that's not a good thing no Um, (laughs) and i think when you're a teenager though we we romanticize those ideas and especially in a lot of teen horror lit the idea of having like an undead boyfriend or like this big strong protector boyfriend is viewed as the ultimate and this book is like that's not always a good thing like that can be very dangerous and really toxic yes. and it's so refreshing in a genre that kind of thrives off of that yeah and to pick I mean essentially your friends over romantic love yeah yeah and oh my gosh of course the ending where you know she's going and saying like goodbye for real to everyone of course had me in tears because I am a sensitive crybaby <laughs> <laughs> Movies make me cry, books tend to not because I can, like, distance myself enough. And everyone's voice sounds a little samey in my head about when I watch a movie and, like, I can see it. I Like, I have that condition. I don't know what it's called. Is it, like, aphaxia or something where I don't have a mind's eye? So, like, if I close my eyes and you were like, hey, picture this, like, I can't. Uh, I just can't do it. So I think that's why I don't cry when I read books. But when I watch movies, I get so invested that I'm like hysterical on the floor, which is also why I want this to be a movie or series, because I want to cry. I want to feel it. I want to give myself over to it. (laughs) I would be ready to be hurt again. That series or movie, if it ever gets made, would destroy me. Would absolutely rip my heart out. (laughs) Yes, I welcome the pain. (laughs) And I also love, they're a very, very small part of the book, but... 
Amila's family, just like the little things, like her sisters mm-hmm. giving them her like little Moana dolls or like her parents like breaking the rules and like letting her eat dinner in her room because they know like it's been rough for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, like so after she kills Xander, like the house is burning and she's like, I like, you know, <laughs> rolled out of there like a potato because the, <laughs> the house <laughs> is burning down and like sneaks back into her bed and goes to sleep. And like the next morning, like her mom wakes her up and, you know, has to tell her again, like, oh, my gosh, something awful happened. Um, so it's just like this girl has gone through so much, so much mm-hmm. trauma, so much grief. Having and to in such your a short twice. amount of time. <laughs> yes. It's just all compounded. I mean, I'm glad she has Dr. Miller and Dr. Miller knows like the full extent of the story. Because I just I can't imagine like you not being able to like fully talk about this situation and like why you had to like grieve your friend's loss once and then like investigate their death and then grieve them like a full second time and then grieve like the complicated death of like the only boyfriend you ever had it's just a mm-hmm. lot it's a lot oh, yeah. for one person yeah there's something really important to so i also used to be a teacher it goes with my trauma-informed uh background and there is like a monumental effect on kids and teenagers if they have one adult in their life that is not their parents that they feel like they can talk to whether it's a teacher a coach a doctor whoever if you have at least one like you your quality of life like skyrockets in comparison to other people and the long-term effects are like immeasurable um how much better it is so yeah having having the doctor is like I'm so glad that 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 character exists in this book because it's so important in real life too like that's I think what Lily Anderson does so good in in this book is that all of the things that are beneficial for real life I mean obviously like the likelihood we're all going to bring back like our dead friends is slim to none but (laughs) <laughs> the other people involved in the story are are the people that we need in our in our lives and the 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 problems that they're facing are the problems we need to face in our real lives and this book is just it's so wonderful and that's i'm just going to keep talking about how wonderful it is forever <laughs> it is and i mean at the end of the book she has too because she has dr miller and then dr miller's wife who owns the new Mm -hmm. age shop who she's like mended that relationship with and can now like mentor her Mm -hmm. and she's like you know she's like i don't know how i feel about being part of a coven of like older witches but like yeah i'm open (laughs) (laughs) instruction (laughs) oh i was gonna say about anaya like another she's another person that gets rounded out because you know um when mila confronts her about being a busybody, and she's like you literally publish like you know conversations you hear in the bathroom like it's it's too much and she's talking about how she wants the scholarship and that's gonna this is gonna be her ticket out of this town mm-hmm. you know just like really adds so much to her character and her you know motivation and drive and like you know mm-hmm. she's seeing a story and going with it and getting to the bottom of what is happening yeah i think that it's really important too that we have because I think, especially when you're a teenager, we tend to assume that people are work- are acting in bad faith, or we assume the absolute worst of people because we're just so used to being disappointed all the time. And to have all of these characters ha- get to be well-rounded, to have their own story, to have their own motivations, and to be able to see that there is a, you know, they, they are acting in good faith, even if they're committing like the 
absolute worst atrocities in, in the case of somebody like Xander is, I think, really, really important. And, like, that's a really important message. I really struggle with assuming good intent with people. And that's me as a, as a 31-year-old. Like, as a teenager, <laughs> no. <laughs> it, was, it was an impossibility for me to, to, to believe people were acting in good faith. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that, like, we should be trusting of everybody and assume everything's good all the time. But also, <laughs> don't assume everything's bad all the time. I mean, I, I do. I love this book. And if, like you were saying, if there's one thing it's done well, it's the characterization. There's no two-dimensional villains everyone has motivations and fears and it's just fully drawn out as a character yes yeah i i love that two-dimensional villain because the beauty of you know quote-unquote villains is they never think that they're wrong like they think Mm -hmm. that they're acting in the right and this is one of those instances where we're actually kind of given the that perspective of seeing like why they really did do this and why they think they're right and that's that's really, really important in in my opinion. Whether or not like teenagers reading this are going to take all of these kind of galaxy brain uh, interpretations of the source material, you know, that's uh, that's to be discovered at a, at a much later date. But <laughs> in terms of like me, full adult reading, you know, this YA this YA piece, it uh it really speaks to me even now because I think this is a book that tackles things that are heightened when we're in high school but they don't go away and i mean even his villain speech when he's you know talking and riley is getting horrified he's like explaining to her like he's like do you not remember what they did to you because i remember Mm -hmm. they did this i remember this time i remember no one would come to your birthday parties i remember you got bullied out of a ballet class you know and it's like it's emotional and you're like that sucks but And the thing is, like, as much as I want to hear him do that and, like, hate him and be like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible, part of me is, like, I just feel really bad. Like, yeah. that, there's just so much pain. Like, it is the loudest cry for help I've, I think I've ever heard. It is. And, I mean, he gets in June and Dayton's faces, too. And he's like, you know, every town has a, a mortician. Somebody's got to do it. You can't just, mm-hmm. like you know hate her or throw all this on her because of you know what our parents do because you think it's like too spooky yeah our town mortician um they were like a pretty well-known family and the like so like the first generation that still owned it were like the grandparents and then the children one of them was my eighth grade social studies teacher and then I was in classes with all of their kids so like the grandkids of of the morticians but like that's where everybody had their funerals so like I would show up to funerals and see like my classmates who were like setting up floral displays and it's like this is a tough job for y'all and then I'm gonna see you on math class on Monday and know that like you spent your whole weekend with like dead bodies and like that's tough like that's really intense I'm not about to shit on you for it because it's intense you probably don't want to be there as much as I don't want to be there for a funeral very big like six feet under energy oh yeah very much so this book also has um all cheerleaders die energy Um, yes i was gonna say it (laughs) (laughs) like very very much like kindred spirits uh you know this this makes the good double feature of like read this book watch that movie that was gonna be my next question to you (laughs) (laughs) i I love All Cheerleaders Die and I love Lucky McKee because Lucky McKee is another one who is really good at making well-rounded three-dimensional characters, including villains. 
Um, and these two very much feel like they are holding hands and skipping away together on the beach. I mean, if it wasn't so similar to All Cheerleaders Die, I'd be like, please read it, make it. (laughs) (laughs) Make it a thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very true. I would honestly like my dream is I would give this to Gigi Guerrero and be like, Gigi, you wonderful, incredible like power feminist Mexican horror director. Please oh gosh, make this yes. movie. Like she would crush it. I would love that. Can we get her to do it? <laughs> I might just like mail her a copy and be like, hey. <laughs> so do about with this, this what you will. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Do we have any final thoughts? Final thoughts that I have is when I reread this because I had to you know buy the copy the last time I had it I think I rented it from the library um I forgot how big it is and I admittedly was like oh my god what did I get myself into I'm doing a podcast on this book and it's so long and then I it I flew by it like it's it may seem intimidating because it's a legit book it's not like YA here's 110 pages like it's a book um but it does fly by because these characters are people that you relate to so quickly and their voices are so strong that you don't get lost and you know what's happening. And I I think that that makes it, you know, all of the themes we've talked about, but like that, like very baseline, like reading comprehension is, uh, is very manageable. So don't let the size intimidate you, like dive in. It's wonderful. Oh, definitely. It like, it's one of those books you just fall into. Did you get the jean jacket, like, hardcover one? <laughs> no, I got the paperback because I'm on a budget. <laughs> but it is, it's got, like, the nice vibrant pink and, you know, it's got the girl in the, on the cover and you mm-hmm. look at that character and I'm like, yes, this is who Mila is in my mind. And that's sort of yes. the, the image that I carry with me throughout it. And I hear things in, you know, her voice. I mean, my own voice, but, like, through her image. <laughs> and, uh... It just, I really like it. And I think that, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, but like the cover of this book definitely gives you the energy that it's chasing. You know, cool yeah. enamel pins of friendship finger, uh, you know, pinkies, uh, one yes. of them being zombified. I think it's just so cute. <laughs> it is. It's adorable. And it's got little like tarot cards and a crystal up top. Like it's yeah. adorable. <laughs> yeah. This is. This is a really wonderful piece that I feel is both so progressive, but at the same time feels like it has the heart of all of the teen horror books from the 90s that so many of us grew up on and loved. Um, But I think does so with a little bit more respect for the characters. Definitely so. And I think it succeeds on all those fronts. Like it succeeds in being a readable story. It succeeds on, you know, the horror front. We've got the zombies. We've got, you know, like, if they get too far away, they start decomposing, you know, mm-hmm. they start honestly decomposing as the time goes by. We have like some body horror elements. We got like the mushroom thing. We got just a lot of stuff going on and it all works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. It's probably one of the strongest, um, strongest pieces of, of teen horror literature in, in quite some time. And I, I hope more people read it because the more people read it, then the higher the likelihood is that they'll want to 
make it into something else and then it uh, can live forever and ever and ever. I will scream it from the rooftops that everyone needs to read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. If we both scream on top of our rooftops loud enough, we might be able to like bridge the gap in the center and cover enough space. I think so too. We're, yeah, different coasts. We'll just cover all of it. Perfect. We got it. This is this is our job now. A full-time undead girl gang uh, promoter. <laughs> yes. My human existence is just an undead girl gang stan account. A thing I like to ask all my guests is for a chilling obsession. So that's something that you're enjoying in horror. Could be, you know, movie, podcast, show, book, whatever. Mm-hmm. Hmm, let's see a chilling obsession that I have right now. You know, I'm going to I'm going to follow through with a similar energy to this and bear with me here. Sure. I am super into right now the 2011 Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. There's only two seasons. They're both on Netflix. It is without a doubt the best like incarnation of the Scooby Scooby gang that I've ever seen. It's really funny. It pays a lot of homage to a lot of horror. It's very smart. Like, it's the smartest that Fred Jones has ever been. And I completely missed it when it first came out. And I'm re-watching it. And obviously, Scooby-Doo has always been meant for children. But there yeah. is so much maturity in this series. And they're dealing with, like, real conflict in their own lives outside of just, like, is this a haunted thing or is this a person in a mask? And it's kind of been blowing my mind <laughs> watching it where I'm like... <laughs> I did not expect this out of uh, out of this series. Um, so yeah, Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated uh, slaps real hard, and it's really good. I have heard good things, um, so I'm gonna have to watch it with my six year old. Like, oh we'll my have gosh! To watch like it together, it'll be our thing. <laughs> it's so good, and there are so many things about it that the kids will obviously enjoy but it is going to like really resonate with you as an adult and you're gonna be like wow I can't believe they did this like there's an entire episode that's like a a parody of the Velvet Underground and I'm like what is happening (laughs) who is this for me I love it (laughs) exactly like there's so many episodes like that where I'm like what what why is this the reference you're going with I mean I'm down with it I love this kids ain't gonna know what you're talking about but this is great (laughs) Whoever greenlit this, thank you. For real. And I'm like a little upset that the people who are behind this are not the people who are like continuing to make Scooby properties. I'm like, no, if this is how Scooby was still going, like I would never stop watching Scooby-Doo. I mean, like I'm going to watch all of them anyway, because that's just who I am. But it really has a very similar energy to this book. Like it, it does. And if you watch a couple episodes and you get in like the, the sense of humor that they have, it's also the first time that Matthew Lillard is animated Shaggy. So that's also really special because Matthew Lillard is a perfect Shaggy. What? I did not yeah. know that. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay, he took, so. he took up the job on it and he's, <laughs> he's amazing. And there's also a side character that's played by Linda Cardellini who oh. um, canonically is like sort of Velma's yeah love interest so I was like oh it's like movie Velma with like cartoon Velma this is doing a lot for my brain I love this I love that I did not know that Matthew Lillard is like the only shaggy ever so yeah he's great if anyone has never seen it like if you ever I have like a go-to like playlist of videos that I watch whenever I just need to feel good feelings there's a video of Matthew Lillard at a horror convention and there's a little kid like, really not having a good time, clearly brought there by their horror-obsessed parents, is a little terrified. 
and he was there, I think, for, like, a scream panel, and he, like, looks at the parents and is like, does she watch Scooby-Doo? And they're like, yeah, she watches Scooby-Doo. And then he, like, flips the switch on and it goes in full Shaggy mode, and this little girl is just like, oh my god, it's Shaggy, and is so happy. And every time I watch it, I just weep. <laughs> it just makes me feel so good that I cry. Gosh, now I'm going to have to go watch that and cry. Oh my god, it's it's amazing. It's just like Matthew Lillard, Shaggy, horror convention, small child. I don't know. Whatever Google combination <laughs> you find, it'll show up. It's great. <laughs> they will know. They'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the internet will know. The algorithm will help you. It will. So I do have one more question for you. Yes, yes. So... We have a tradition on Books in the Freezer. We have a final girl playlist where every guest gets to pick a song for what their song would be in their slasher movie. Oh, oh my gosh. You're like asking me to choose between children now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Okay. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to kind of shill my own brand a little bit. The people who do my podcast theme song are the Sonderbombs. They're a great um, queer indie punk group that I'm obsessed with. And they have a song, uh, not the one that we use for our show. We use their song title, but the song that I would use for my final girl playlist would be Crying is Cool by the Sonderbombs because that would be me if I was a final girl as I would get through it all and then I would lose it and start crying and be like all my friends are dead and it'd be like you know what it's okay crying is cool crying you're allowed you don't have to be strong like it's okay to be upset about this that would be me that's my final girl song is crying is cool by the Sonderbombs. I am loving that energy I love your theme song i have added it to my playlist since listening to this ends at prom so i am definitely gonna go look that up and add it to our spotify playlist yes yeah it's a jam (laughs) it's it's a good one and it's definitely one that i listen to when i'm like caught up in my feels and i'm like i shouldn't be crying i'm an adult and it's like wait a minute no crying is cool it's okay it's okay to cry shouldn't be crying over these fictional characters i just read but it's okay (laughs) i just have so many feelings Well, thank you so much for coming on here and talking with me about Undead Girl Gang. Thank you for inviting me and letting me just like love all up on this book. It needs more love. So I'm glad that we have put this out here. (laughs) Agreed completely. And like, I know you have a pretty solid TikTok following. Like TikTok teens, this is a book for you. I will. I will make a whole whole TikTok. Be like, just read this book now. (laughs) whatever you're doing stop it and pick this up immediately agreed books in the freezer is a bi-weekly podcast we post episodes every other tuesday you can find us on twitter at books freezer pod on instagram at books in the freezer we are on tiktok at books in the freezer also on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. You can send us an email at books in the freezer at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, there are a few ways to do that. One of them is to become a Patreon supporter. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash books in the freezer. There is a one, three, and a $5 level with all kinds of different perks ranging from early episode releases to bonus episodes and movie nights. So definitely check that out if that sounds interesting to you. Another easy way to support the podcast is to use the Amazon link that will be in the show notes for this episode.
When you click the link, it'll send you to Amazon. You just do your normal Amazon shopping that you would normally do, and a small percentage of that helps the podcast. And there are, of course, ways to show your support for Books in the Freezer without spending any money. One of them is to leave a review on a platform like Apple Podcasts. Another is to just talk about us, post about the show on social media, tell your friends about us. Anything word of mouth is huge for small shows like this. So thank you again to all listeners who have taken the time to write a review or to post about the show. It really means a lot to me. So again, thank you. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's That's with two A's. And see you next time on Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 